Hello, I'm Simon Thompson, Chief Executive of the Chartered Banker Institute and author of Green and Sustainable Finance Principles and Practice. I spend a lot of my time speaking with policymakers, regulators, NGOs, of course, even bankers to try to understand how we can build the capacity, the capabilities, the cultures required to align banking and finance with the objectives of the Paris Agreement and broader sustainability goals. So I have lots of conversations about climate, about environmental and social sustainability risks, the opportunities for green and sustainable finance and how our sector and how our banking profession can and must lead the global transition to to net zero. Green conversations, if you like. And I've been lucky to meet many interesting, expert and inspiring individuals along the way. So I decided it would be a good idea to record and share some of these green conversations with a wider audience of our members and, and others. And in particular, to try to move these conversations on from the, the high level, the global, the national commitments and targets from countries, financial institutions, financial alliances, to what needs to be done by banking and finance professionals in the front line to put green and sustainable finance principles and practice into practice so that you can have green conversations with your customers, your clients, your colleagues, and perhaps your family and friends too. So welcome to episode six of Green Conversations and welcome to my guest today, someone very much in the front line of banking, Jonas Persson. Hello, Jonas. Hi, Simon. Lovely to be here. It's it's great to have you, Jonas. Uh, So Jonas is currently Head of Sustainability and ESG Finance at Lloyd's Banking Group, having led energy and utilities businesses for the best part of two decades. So he's got some amazing insight into the energy transition from at least two perspectives. He joined Lloyds Bank, one of the UK's largest retail and corporate lenders and now largest green lenders in 2008, and has been driving the renewables and ESG agendas both internally and externally. He played a key role in establishing Lloyds target to cut the bank's financed emissions by 50% by 2030, which is the first baseline target set by a major UK bank. And he's got a great passion for building strong teams and developing talent, something I'm sure we'll come on to in a moment. But first, uh, Jonas, could you start by telling our listeners a bit about how you developed a personal and professional interest in sustainability and how your own career journeys led you from energy and utilities to sustainability and ESG? What's behind your own personal transition and what advice would you give based on that to our members and others who want to pursue careers in sustainability banking like you, you have? Yeah, thanks, Simon. I think... Like with most things in life, it starts early on in your early early years as a child. Um, you can probably pick up on my accent that I am from Scandinavia. Uh, there is a, certainly a saying in Scandinavia that there is no such thing as, as bad weather. It's simply bad, bad clothing, which meant that pretty much most of my childhood, uh, childhood time was spent uh, outdoors. Uh, the only time we were indoors was for eating and sleeping. So it's uh, certainly spent a vast majority of my time outdoors. And that's Things like, you know, going to my grandfather's farm or my dad took me fishing, uh, in addition to kind of uh, causing, <laughs> causing chaos in the, uh, with my friends out playing, of course. But uh, everything was anchored in, in being outside. So nature was very present from the beginning, uh, probably without really understanding how precious nature was. Um, and that probably took until Mr. David At- Attenborough or Sir David Attenborough walk- walked into our living rooms. Um, and he did two things in particular. I think the first thing I, I do even remember as a child is that 
he really presented how incredibly beautiful nature was uh, across the globe. Uh, and he also made us very aware of how precious and sort of uh, brittle the whole ecosystem was. Uh, and we had to do something about it. So, so I think that gave me a great foundation as a child, uh, what it meant. Uh, and it was all about building on that uh, going forward. I think... On a professional basis, I spent 25 years in finance industry, uh, very, very much different from playing in the fields. But um, it was quite coincidental from a starting point. Uh, and there was probably more of a gradual focus on energy and infrastructure was probably less coincidental. And then the leap from that to sustainability was quite natural and gradual over time. And I was actually doing a lot of sustainability work as a side of my desk job for a number of years before we launched a new team um, early last year. You, you sort of mentioned what, what advice I would give to uh, colleagues or other people in the industry if they want to get involved in sustainability. Um, I, I think there's, there's nothing beating a, a really clear passion for the topic. Uh, ideally, you back that up by tangible evidence of, of actions that you, you made. And uh, that could be anything in you know, from different levels, if it is your personal activities or uh, if you are speaking to companies, people near you, it could be your local council, it could actually even be government. Um, so that's as long as you're able to demonstrate that you really care about it. I think that that's something that's going to resonate with any any person you're going to speak to. Um, and I think it's about reading and listening. Uh, there's an overwhelming amount of information out there, uh, you know, literature, podcast, uh, one of yours, perhaps even, uh, and training. So, you know, maybe tr I probably the, the ask is or suggestion is that you pick uh, an area of sustainability that really matters to you or interests to you, because there's so much of it and none of us can be, be experts on all of it. Uh, and that way you probably develop a sort of niche knowledge that could be useful for others. And that's, in fact, really how we built the team uh, here at Lloyd's. We, we identified the different skills that we required as a team. So we, we were bringing people in with kind of legal background, sort of uh, energy transition background, consultants, in addition to bankers. So there's, there's, there's a massive need for a diversity of skill sets uh, across industry for those that are interested. Um, and I'm really interested, one word you mentioned there that, that struck me was care. Um, you know, speaking about bankers who care about the environment, but actually cares isn't a word we often use um, in the context of the banking profession, yet it's absolutely vital. We, we, if, we're, if we're doing a good job, we should be caring about our customers, caring about our communities, caring about the environment, you know, caring about our, our colleagues and so on. So, you know, we, we may not, we, you know, banking may not be a caring profession in the sense that um, medicine is, but I think all good professional bankers, you know, care deeply about the, the role they have and the role they have in, in communities and society, you know, as, as, as you clearly do. Um, the one thing, I think you have a very interesting job title as, you know, your head of sustainability and ESG finance. Um, maybe you have two jobs, I don't know. Um, but as many listeners will, will probably know, there's a very active debate at the moment about the the use, maybe the usefulness of the, the term ESG in particular. I mean, what, what for you is the distinction between the, the, the two, if, if there is one, and, and, and you know, what does that job encompass, head of sustainability and ESG? Mm. Uh, it, it's such a good question, uh, Simon. Uh, very, very topical too. So, um, but maybe we start with the uh, with sustainability. Uh, and 
to me at least that is um it's really it's the belief or perhaps even the ideology which is founded on the basis that whatever we as individuals or as a society are consuming or extracting manufacturing today it should not have any negative impact on nature or future generations ability to interact with nature as well and i if i if i remember i think this is pretty close to the un definition of sustainability as well so it's it's almost like the umbrella sort of uh, approach to to the topic esg on the other hand uh, it was kind of established to help companies and investors to frame the focus on specific elements of sustainability uh, if that was on the environmental side social side or, or the government factors and also how to measure progress against those specific goals or KPIs that was that was kind of uh, considered. Uh, recently, there's been a lot of debates and even criticism, I would say, about the ESG labeling. Uh, and that comes from, you know, lots of voices of authority. Uh, there was an article in Economist not that long ago that was really asked us to really focus on on sort of uh, things like greenwashing, which is very, very important. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but also making sure that we are not distracted from the core focus of cutting greenhouse gas gas emissions, of course. Um, in my view, we can't ignore other extremely important aspects of the environment, such as biodiversity and the social aspect with just transition. So to me, they are very much inextricably linked. So I don't think we can just you know cut everything off and just think about greenhouse gases, as important as that is. But we need to think about all these components that we are looking at. Um, is there a better way of doing this? Uh, I do certainly think we need to have to think about how we we standardize everything that we're looking at, because otherwise people are going to be confused about it. So I do think that there are things that we need to consider. But that is the kind of distinction between sustainability and ESG in my mind. Uh, but I think we've got plenty, plenty to go before we solve this. Well, that's it. I'm only trying to solve the definitions here. We've then actually got to <laughs> solve the reality of it too. But I think that's a very clear um, uh, exposition. Uh, thanks. And um, you, know, you mentioned um, the, uh, the the economists' kind of take on on sort of ESG, and certainly they were writing about or suggesting that we ought to be focusing sort of only on emissions. I'd agree with I'd agree with the point you made that that actually we don't solve the emissions problem without thinking about um, the role of biodiversity in that sort of you know forestation, for instance, the, the social side of just transition and and so on. But obviously the the, the major focus for many of us is emissions. Um, you know, and it's obviously a big focus for for Lloyd's too, as the UK's sort of largest lender. As I mentioned in the introduction, you, you set a target, a very ambitious target, I think, of a 50% reduction in financed emissions by 2030 with sort of ambitious sub-sectoral targets for energy, agriculture, transport, and uh, and so on. Um, how are you going about equipping your colleagues with the knowledge, the skills, the tools they need to, to have the conversations, the green conversations they've got to have with customers and clients um, to help them in their transitions and you know how are those conversations progressing and what feedback are you getting from your customers about this because these may be ambitious targets for the bank but that translates into quite ambitious targets for the customers you're financing as well yeah thanks simon i i, I think there's, there's quite a bit to unpack in that question but but let me let me start with one component of it the starting point is absolutely that we're looking to support a transition across all industries, right, uh, including, you know, 
essential hard to abate industries like agriculture and housing. And we, we are acknowledging and respecting that there are different pathways for different industries. That's really important to remember. Uh, walking away from critical industries to society is never the right outcome. But needless to say, we need to, to have our clients with us on a journey. And that's exactly what our sort of target is. It is uh, helping our clients to achieve a 50% reduction uh, on their emissions. Um, when it comes to acquiring skills, we, we decided early on that in order for the institution to be relevant and authentic when we engage with our clients, we needed to do two important things. One was to demonstrate that we are very serious about our own transition, which I believe we have done. Uh, Coming back to your comments about ambitious targets and deliveries, but, but also training and upskilling uh, of our colleagues. We have taken more than 1,300 of colleagues through the accredited CISL training, and number, a number of colleagues have gone on to higher levels of training. And only last week, we had a number of such colleagues graduating from sustainability master's program. A lot of internal sharing learning from each other is really important too. And that's what we can probably the unintended but very welcome outcome of training colleagues is that colleagues have also turned on our own institution to suggest improvements and solutions, which we probably wouldn't have realized otherwise. And of course, they're sharing between each other as well. So we are the skills that we acquire externally is now shared internally. Uh, to support our own operations. So overall, this, this sort of the, the, probably what we thought was a very steep learning curve, we have actually managed to, to get in front of because the learning is so fast because we bring it all in across the institution in many, many different ways. Um, and, and of course, the, the important thing is it's not only about knowledge. When you, when you learn about this topic, you also start to change how people are thinking, how people are behaving and generally changing our group culture. And that, I think, is by far the most effective way if you want to implement or achieving long-term change um, as an institution. So really excited about that, that prospect that we are putting learning at the front of what we're doing. Well, no, I, I very much agree with that. I mean, Mark Carney has this wonderful phrase that you know, the objective for private finance is to ensure that every professional financial decision should take account of climate change. And I think we would probably agree perhaps sustainability more broadly. Um, that seems to suggest then that every finance professional needs to have at least some knowledge and ability to apply that knowledge of sustainability uh, in the context of their their role. Um, so in other words, we need to build the capacity, the capabilities, and to your point, the, the culture um, within each financial institution and finance as a whole. So we are genuinely aligning the banking profession uh, in order that every professional financial decision takes account of climate change, you know, whether that's a risk-based decision or an opportunity-based uh, one, which, which I think then leads me to another Point then, but you started to talk to allude to it there, I think. But um, you know, you spoke about you know one thousand three hundred colleagues going through the CISL program and a lot of internal learning. I um, mean, that's a big number, but of course, it's still a minority of individuals you know employed by uh, by by Lloyd's Bank or you know Lloyd's Banking Group in general. Is, I don't know what sixty seventy thousand sort of colleagues uh, in the UK. So, so what, what do you think that uh, you know 
all banking and finance professionals ought to know about sustainability. What are the basics that everyone needs to know? We don't all need to be you know, sustainability professionals. We don't all need to finish MSCs in sustainability and become climate scientists, but we all need to know something. So what, what for you are the, the real basics we need to know? And, and, and how do you think maybe that's evolving? You know, what's kind of next in terms of that knowledge and skill set that all bankers should have? Yeah, I think that that's really, really important too. Uh, and I'll come to your point about that sort of lens of how we're looking at things. Um, uh, but, but the first things, first thing I think we should all recognize that this is, this is a topic that is not going to go away. It's not necessarily like the uh, pandemic that we have to learn to react to something and hopefully we're going to get above that, through that quite quickly. Uh, and then the world is going to kind of continue as it was before, hopefully. This is very different. Um, and I do think that, you know, just <laughs> sitting here, we talked about the weather uh, earlier today, is that these sort of very volatile sort of weather patterns experienced is probably acting as a, as a catalyst uh, of change for many. But at worst, at least, it's probably a bit of a brutal wake up call for even the most sort of regressive person that is trying to ignore that this is happening. But you're absolutely right. This is looking at sustainability it's not something that we do through just a, a profession i'm not going into work and just think about okay i'm going to go do, do this here today i'm going to achieve this hopefully and then i might go home i'm i'm a separate i'm a different person it's so linked we we look through uh at, we look at sustainable through i think at least three different lenses it is the lens you have as an individual and how you impact others what you do what you're accountable for your own actions you go to work, you have your work interaction as well. That is your profession, how you influence uh, your company you work for or colleagues, etc. And the third one is, of course, probably more on a national or global basis. What does that mean from a kind of broader base, uh, broader uh, concept um, when it comes to sustainability and, and climate change generally? So I think it's important to understand, they say, as an individual, we have different aspects, how we kind of operate. Uh, and the, each of those roles are equally important. It's not one over the other. It is all very authentic how we kind of in, interact with each other. Uh, but as, as you said, being member of this sort of financing community, uh, we, we absolutely have a very critical role to play. And you mentioned uh, Mike Carney earlier, and he was definitely that sort of person that brought, brought finance into the sort of the inner circle of the COP uh, in Glasgow last year. And we, he had 450 institutions that had more said 130 trillion assets, you know, available to themselves. So you can imagine the impact we can have as institutions if we make the right decisions, uh, both as institutions, but also as the people working there. But it's, it's important that we, we also understand that this is not going to happen by BAU. This will be real changes in policies, operating models, et cetera, and risk risk assessments, because if we do nothing, this acceleration that we're looking for is not going to be there. So it's important that we understand that this is not going to going to go away. Um, greenwashing is always a big component of what we do uh, nowadays. Uh, I would I would agree that we need to push for a very rapid standardization of frameworks, policies, taxonomies. Uh, everything related to sustainability. So we've removed a lot of the uncertainty still out there for our companies and investors. Um, I think it's it's going to be a massive overhang until we get that clarity. Um, and we also need to be sure about the obligation, how we better understand the complexity of the challenges for industries and clients. 
otherwise we will not be able to uh, be effective in supporting that transition. So I think it's it all goes hand in hand. Uh, I have no doubt there will still be unfortunate circumstances when people or institutions will try and game situations um, and we should absolutely as a collective be very robust and call that out and ensure actions should be taken against such malpractice. Um, but it's not all about sort of this stick, it's also about the carrot. Uh, in order to get progress, you need to have a healthy balance of them both. Regulations need to be supported by strong incentives uh, if you want to get the desired effects of acceleration. And um, because the reality is we need to create an environment where everyone feels their efforts are recognized and valued. Otherwise, we may leave people behind. Uh, and that's the worst outcome. Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's a lot to unpick in that. Um, but if I, if I may to pick up on one point, you, you mentioned um, COP26, then, which is the Global Climate Summit in Glasgow, Scotland, November 2021. I think that was broadly summarised, at least from a global climate policy perspective, as delivering sort of more than was expected, but less than was, was needed. Um, although I, I would kind of agree with, you, know, you, you alluded to GFAN, the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, uh, there and I think there was quite good progress made at COP26 in terms of aligning finance with the objectives of of, of Paris. Um, of course, now we're start we're looking forward to COP27 in Egypt in November this year. It's not very not very long now. Um, so, what would you like to see come out of the next climate summit? What, what are you looking for from a from a banking and finance perspective? Yeah, thanks, Simon. Uh, you're absolutely right. The, uh... COP26 was, uh, and leading up to the COP26 as well, there was enormous focus on uh, ambitions and different levels of ambitions. We, we we saw a lot of that. I mean, the UK government had their six COVID budget release. They had a net zero strategy, etc. To me, the challenge is now that we need to test those ambitions and commitments against tangible net zero policies and deliveries. Um, and we have to do that over time. So this is why we're going to have COPs more frequently so we can see the progress. Uh, we probably all saw the, uh, the outcome from the, uh, on, on the recent court case where Friends of the Earth convinced the High Court here in the UK that our government's net zero strategy was in breach of the Climate Change Act. Uh, and this, I think, is a good example of rhetoric alone not being good enough. Um, we have to ensure that policies match the ambitions so we don't kind of uh, just talk about what we'd like to do. We have to demonstrate that we have got the infrastructure and policies behind it to support it as well. Uh, the other thing is I hope there's going to be a strong focus on uh, is going to, to think about how we accelerate in the coming years, making sure we understand the urgency of, of what we are doing. Uh, only by doing that will we give ourselves a chance to be on track by 2030. Uh, and that is really sort of appreciating the aggregated impact of actions taken early so we don't leave things to late on because we do not have time and capacity for that. So urgency is something I'm really, really uh, behind. I would like to hope that there's going to be plenty of that in, in, uh, in Egypt when we get to it. Uh, I also think there's, there's plenty of lessons learned from the pandemic, as bad as it was, but we know, we know now how to confront a global crisis. We should take a lot of comfort from the material impact policies can have if you really want to make a difference. So hopefully there's going to be, be 
a little bit of focus on what we learned from that from that uh, event. Um, and then lastly, I, I'm hoping to see a good level of uh, kind of reaffirmation about commitments and, and some cohesiveness, because we are under some challenge and even, even attack, I would say, from some voices to say that we have different priorities. Uh, but I don't think now, well, certainly don't think now is the time to start backtracking or making excuses of uh, what we should not be doing. Uh, and we have to rely on strong data uh, Data, facts, and results, it's very important. Um, that These parts need to be our north star throughout the journey. Otherwise, there's a, a huge risk, again, that we, we will not get uh, a large portion of the public or, or people with us on a journey. So we need to demonstrate that we are making, uh, making impact, we're making changes, and the results are coming. So we get some comfort from what we are doing. That, that's probably at the top of my priorities. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the for me, I think there's I think there's two north stars really. I don't perhaps sort of astronomy colleagues may say this is impossible, but um, you know, data is one. Or you know, the the, the techno- technological ability to um, crunch the data we need, uh, but then it's the human capability as well we need. Um, and I think too often the focus has been on the former and not on the not on the latter, which is why at the institute we're doing a lot of work to try and. Uh, boost uh, capacity and capability not just in the uk yeah. but but internationally um because actually yeah. a lot of this needs to be done in, in in capital markets right around the world not not just in the, not just in the uk um, and then so finally we, the, 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 you know as we started talking you mentioned um sort of david attenborough the major kind of cultural figure many of us would have watched his sort of documentaries and things um when we're preparing for the podcast you mentioned just come back from your your holiday and um you know you've been we're reading sort of various books on climate change and sustainability kind of while you're away hopefully including um david attenborough's uh recent book as well um it sounds like you didn't switch off completely but yeah any any good holiday reading you can recommend to to colleagues i should say uh, we are recording this during the holidays so some people will still be hopefully about to go away although given all the chaos at airports and railway stations it might be difficult so this might be a book that you can read in the check-in queue as you're waiting to go away. Yeah, no, that, that's that's true. I did I did kind of uh, put a few of the books down in my, my my suitcase. I probably should have a Kindle, being sustainable and lead from the front. But uh, yeah, I, I brought yeah. a few. Some of them actually been lent to me as well. And uh, there was one one book I I, I really particularly enjoyed. Uh, it's by Jonathan Porritz. Um, I figure I got it. Yeah, I got it here. Hope in Hell. So got it here in front of me. And the reason why I liked it, I think I'm quite a bit of a data uh, interested individual as well and present sort of scenarios. It, it's still most books I read about sustainability and climate climate change are, are, are quite hard because it is a challenging situation we are facing into. And you always want to have a little bit of an opportunity to think that's this. Uh, that sort of positive, relentless optimist that we always need to have in this 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 area, um, and I do think Jonathan provides that in his book, and it's kind of uh, stacked up by data and statistics and information, so it, it appeals to me in particular. Otherwise, it could be quite heavy if you just have a an outlook of what the, the world may look like if you don't do anything. And that's often how some of these books start. So, um, if you want to have a constructive, positive read on your holiday. I would definitely recommend uh, Hope in Hell by by Jonathan Poitz. 
And it, and it is a great title as well. If you are stuck in a check-in queue or uh, the, the Dover tailbacks <laughs> or train strikes and things, it'll be hellish. There's 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 hope there. You will you will reach your holiday destination, and we can reach our um, the destination we want to see of a more sustainable, low carbon world too. So yeah, I think it's a great choice of great choice of book. Um, so thank you, uh, Jonas, for for joining me and for really a fascinating and, and wide ranging green conversation. Um, I've I've had a great time. I'm sure our members and uh, other listeners will have learned a great deal from your personal and, and professional um, insights. And I hope it inspires uh, many of our listeners to start or accelerate their own journeys into sustainability in in, in banking. Um, or if they're already working in banking, um, they now feel a little bit better equipped to implement change within their existing roles and to have their own green conversations with customers, clients and, and colleagues. Um, you know, please, please let us know, share your comments and feedback with us via the usual Institute channels and social media. It'd be great in particular to hear more about what you, our members are, are doing and to be able to share this with our with our network. Because if we are going to align finance and sustainability, and there is no choice, we have to. We need all banking and finance professionals to join in this green conversation and start your own with your customers, with your colleagues and in your communities. So above all, get talking and thank you for listening.